Section 20 of A Brief History of Forestry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Brief History of Forestry by Bernard Fernau. Section 20. Italy. The efforts to secure improvement in the treatment of forest resources have been more active and strenuous in Italy than in Greece. They were induced especially by the urgent need of protecting watersheds, the rivers throughout Italy having been turned into torrents by deforestation. But, owing to the weakness of the government and to poverty, the actual execution of the very good laws has lagged behind. Indeed, while ample legislation has been enacted, the people, overburdened with debt and needing the small income that can be derived from pasturing or renting the pasture in the woods, make it difficult to carry on any reform, and the enforcement of the laws has again and again led to serious trouble. Forestry is a sore point in the national economy of Italy, as it involves sacrifice of money and time. Italy, therefore, is still in the transition period from forestal rapine to forest culture. Densely populated, 33 million on 110,600 square miles, with fully one-fifth of its area unproductive or at least unused, and one-quarter of this almost or quite beyond redemption, no country offers better opportunities for studying the evil effects of deforestation on soil and water flow. As a result of the combination of geology, slates and limestones, topography, steep slopes, Climate and forest devastation or destruction, mainly by pasturage of goats, two million, the Italian rivers are invariably flooded in March and mostly dry in summer. The melting of the snow coinciding with the heavy spring rains turns them into raging torrents, fiumare, silting over the fertile lands in the valleys and occasional landslides in the mountain country, where extensive tracts are nearly bare of vegetation. Especially the rivers around Bologna, which in 1897 again caused damage in excess of $1 million, are dreaded. 1. Forest conditions. Situated similarly to Greece as regards accessibility and climate, and similarly torn by wars and political strife, and in unstable conditions for centuries, Italy has in proportion to population, if not to area, reduced her forest resources even more than Greece. Less than one-third of an acre per capita remains, with a total of somewhere over 12 million acres, or about 17% of the land area, and this includes much useless brushland, over 2 million acres. Apparently, if the uncertain statistics may be relied upon, a reduction of several million acres has taken place since 1870. Some 15 million acres of wasteland and swamps offer ample opportunity for increasing this forest area without infringing on the 42 million acres of usefully employed agricultural soil. Of the forest area, 25% is to be found in the Alps, about 50% on the Apennines, the one mountain range which forms the backbone of Italy. Less than one quarter is distributed over the plains, and the small balance is found on the islands, especially Sicily, which is a hill and mountain country, once magnificently wooded, now largely denuded, 4% wooded, and on Sardinia, which, with nearly 45% under forest, is the best wooded part of Italy, although the condition of the forest is here no better than elsewhere. With the exception of the slopes of the Alps, 2.5 million acres of spruce, fir, beech, larch, and the tops of the Apennines and remote plateaus, 4.5 million acres, and of a few special places on which now and then even magnificent remains of virgin forest may be found, lack of transportation having preserved them, 
Most of the area is occupied by miserable brush forest, coppice, or else open forest with scattered trees among a shrub undergrowth of thorns, hazel, and chestnut, called macchia, i.e. chaparral, so that most Italians have never seen a real forest. Nevertheless, Italy is by no means as treeless as this condition of forest would imply, for trees, poplar, ash, elm, are dotting the plains and slopes, planted for vine supports and boundaries, unshapely through pollarding and lopping the branches for firewood. Olive and chestnut groves on the hills, of the former two million acres, of the latter over 400,000 acres planted for the fruit, and 8.5 million acres in vineyards, add to the wooded appearance of the country and to the wood supply. The annual product of firewood from these planted trees is estimated at 6 million cords. On the sand dunes and near the seashore, especially in the marshes, the maritime, the Aleppo pine, and the umbrella-shaped Pinus pinea and picturesque cypresses are sometimes found in small groves, while the calcareous hills in this region up to 1,200 feet are studded with olives, cork, and evergreen oak. Osha growing is here also quite extensively practised. In the mountains, above the 2,700-foot level, conifer forest composed of Pinus sylvestris and Laricio and Abies penctinata has been reduced to less than 7% of the whole. Mixed conifer and deciduous forest represents 4%, the bulk being a deciduous forest of oak, several species, and beech with chestnut. 48% of the forest area is in coppice, sedio and of the 52% of high forest, the bulk is managed under a selection system, a skelter. A small part under clearing system, ad alto fusto, although management can hardly be said to exist except in small groves. That supply of workwood is insufficient for the needs of the population and is decreasing is attested by the fact that the importations more than doubled in the decade from 1892 to 1903 to near $14 million, 80% of which was saw material in addition to $2 million of wood manufactures, while nearly $5 million worth was exported in the last named year, mostly cork, casks, thin box boards, olive wood manufactures, and charcoal. No better picture of the forest conditions can be had than by a statement of the home production, which in 1886, last official data, was placed at 48 million cubic feet of workwood, valued at $3.4 million, 223 million cubic feet firewood, valued at $4.1 million, 106 million cubic feet charcoal, worth $3.6 million, and byproducts to the large amount of $6.4 million, altogether a little less than $17.6 million. Firewood and charcoal, which represent over 80% of the product, are of course furnished by coppice, and in addition by the pollarded material, almost the only fuel to be had. The ownership of the forest area is for the greater part private, 53%, and communal, over 43%, the state owning a little over 400,000 acres, less than 4%. The state property being so small, supervision of communal and private forest has become the policy. The state forest is of two classes, the alienable, under the Department of Finance, the larger part, about 375,000 acres, and the inalienable so declared by law of 1871, which was then about 115,000 acres and was placed under a forest administration in the Department of Agriculture. But of this, about 20% is not forest, and even in 1896, some of this small area was sold so that now only 40,000 acres remain. This area is to serve for demonstration of model management and to supply government needs. 
Beech and oak with fir, pine and larch, mostly in timber forests, characterise this property, which is managed mostly in selection system. Curiously enough, in 1888 the difficulty of disposing advantageously of the old timber is complained of due to the lack of means of transportation. The personnel of the administration consists of a central bureau with one inspector general, three inspectors and a council. For each province, and in some cases for two or more provinces together, an inspector with several sub-inspectors and a number of guards or brigadieri are charged with the management of the state property and the enforcement of the forest laws. 2. Development of Forest Policy For centuries since the fall of the Roman Empire, 476 AD, until the end of the 18th century, Italy had been the victim of war and strife with neighbours or within its borders, being divided into numberless commonwealths, almost each city being independent. Hence, no economic improvements could take place until, under the influence of the French Revolution, the regeneration period began. Not, however, until the seven or eight states which the Congress of Vienna, 1815, had established, were moulded into one united Italy under Victor Emmanuel during the years 1859 to 1870, could an effective reconstruction be inaugurated. It is true that some of the republics in earlier times paid attention to their forest property. Notably, in Venice, old forest ordinances date back to 697, and in 1453 a regular forest administration was instituted, especially to take care of the large forest area in Istria and Dalmatia, which fell into the hands of the Venetians about 1420. A tolerably conservative management continued here until the beginning of the 18th century, when, in consequence of political complications, supervision became lax and devastation began which continued through the century, leaving to the new century and finally to the Austrians the legacy of the caste. See page 173. Florence, too, managed to prevent the deforestation of the summit of her mountains until the beginning of the 18th century and in other republics, kingdoms, and duchies, similar efforts at forest administrations existed. Yet Genoa, which in Strabo's time was the principal timber market of Italy, had by 1860 nearly all its mountain slopes denuded. Before the general legislation for all Italy was enacted, there were at least a dozen laws and operations in the various provinces. In Lombardy, the law of 1811, in Naples, the law of 1862, in Rome of 1827, in Umbria of 1805, in Bologna of 1829, in Tuscany of 1829, in Piedmont of 1833, in Sardinia of 1851, etc. If these had been heeded, much better conditions would have been inherited by the new kingdom. With the arrival of a national spirit, many schemes for the promotion of forestry and of forest policy were discussed. The academies of Florence, Milan, Modena, Palermo and Pissarro offered premiums for reforesting of mountains and called for popular treatises on silviculture. A forestry journal came into being furthering the propaganda. In 1860, a very well-written account of present conditions of forestry and production of sulphur in Sicily a collection of reports was published in Shiro. In 1860 also, an investigation of forest conditions in each province was ordered by royal decree, and propositions for their improvement were called for, which led to legislative proposals introduced in 1862 and legislation enacted in 1863. The law of 1863 still treated each province independently, forest inspectors for each province, and for Naples an inspector general, with district foresters and a large number of forest guards were appointed. 
Another law, applicable only to certain parts of the kingdom, was enacted in 1874, intended to check the progress of deforestation and prevent turning waste woodlands into pasture. These absolute forest soils were to be reforested within five years. The law remained a dead letter, yet it is still in force in part with the modifications enacted in 1886. The final unification of the country, as far as legislative unity is concerned, was completed in 1877, and in that year the first general forest law for all Italy was also enacted. This law, which has mainly in view the protective influence of forest cover as a factor in the public welfare, leaving all private property not falling under the character of protective forest entirely free, established provincial forest commissions, conservation boards, unpaid, who were to enact rules and regulations best adapted to their localities. The Board of Commissioners consisted of the Prefect of the Province, ex officio, President, an Inspector of Forests, the Technical Officer who administers the government property, an engineer appointed by the Governor, and three members chosen by the Provincial Council. In addition, each Communal Council was to send one member to take part in the deliberations of the Board as far as his particular commune was interested. By this law, the country is divided into two sections vertically, namely the territory above the limit of Chestnut and that below this limit, the latter representing the farming country, the territory above being unfit for agricultural use. To the former, the restrictions of the law apply as a rule, Tereni Sogerti al Vincolo Forestale, Ban Forest, to the latter as exception, namely where the removal of forest or brush cover might cause landslides or affect stream flow or health conditions unfavourably. The chestnut limit naturally varies in different parts, but generally speaking, lies between 1,800 and 2,000 feet elevation. The determination of these areas was to be made by the provincial forest committees, and it is significant to note that in these the state forest administration did not have the majority. The territory under restriction was, in 1887, after various revisions, established as comprising 7.5 million acres of forest and 2.5 million acres of brush and waste, nearly 71% of the forest area being thus placed under restriction, leaving 2.5 million acres of forest and over 2 million of brush and waste outside the working of the law. These latter areas are left entirely without restrictions, except as general police regulations apply. The execution of the law and regulations is left to the State Forest Department with an organisation of forest guards, some 3,000 in 1883, appointed by the Prefect of the Province with the advice of the Forestry Commission, but acting under the State Forest Administration. Their pay was to come to the extent of two-thirds from the communes, the other third from the provincial treasurer. In the forests placed under the law, clearing and agricultural use is forbidden. Spellings and cultures must be made under direction of the committee. No compensation is made for this limitation in use, except where hygienic influence was the basis for placing the forest under ban. If the regulations of the commissions had been observed to their full extent, all would have been well in time, but it is evident from subsequent legislative efforts that the execution of the laws was not what could be desired. Political exigencies required leniency in the application of the law. An interesting report on the results of the first quinquennium shows that during that time 170,000 acres were cleared, over 40,000 without permission, and by 1900 it was estimated deforestation had taken place on about 5 million acres.
wrangling over the classification of the lands under band has continued until the present, and local authorities have continued to favour private as against public interest, to withdraw lands from the operation and to wink at disregard of the law. Moreover, rights of user to dead wood, pasturage, goats are by law excluded, and other privileges continue to prevent improvement, although several laws to affect their extinction had been passed. The devastating floods of 1882 led to much agitation, and upon a report of a special commission in 1886, the law of 1874, which had obligated the communities to reforest their wastelands within five years or else to sell, was revived, extending the term of obligatory reforestation in the endangered sections to ten years. By that time, out of 800,000 acres originally declared as requiring reforestation, not more than 40,000 acres had been planted, but the acreage involved had also been gradually scaled down by the forest committees to 240,000 acres. The report, on the other hand, found that the area needing reboisement was at least 500,000 acres, requiring an expenditure of $12 million. The law of 1877 did not contemplate enforced reforestation of ban forests. It sought to accomplish this by empowering either the Department of Agriculture or the provinces or the communities or special associations to expropriate for the purpose of reforestation. Results were nil. A revision and broadening of the law led to the General Reboisement Act of 1888, which has in view the correction of torrents, fixing of mountain slopes and sand dunes, one of the best laws of its kind in existence anywhere. The principal features of the law are obligatory reboisement of mountains and sand dunes according to plans and under direction of the Department of Agriculture, the areas to be designated by the department with approval or disapproval of the forest committees, contribution to the extent of two-fifths, finally raised to two-thirds, of the expense by the government, expropriation where owners do not consent or fail to carry out the work as planned, right to reclaim property by payment of costs and interest or else sale by government, right of the department to regulate and restrict pasture, but compensation to be paid to restricted owners, encouragement of cooperative planters associations. The area to be reforested was estimated at somewhat over 500,000 acres and the expense at over $7 million. The execution of the law was not any stricter than before. In 1900, the Secretary of Agriculture reports that the laws do not yet receive effective application. The difficulty of determining what is and what is not necessary to reforest, what is and what is not absolute forest soil, made ostensibly the greatest trouble and occasioned delay. But financial incapacity and political influences bidding for popularity are probably the main cause of the inefficiency. Meanwhile, the Forest Department tried to promote reforestation by giving premiums from its scanty appropriation and distributing from its 130 acres of nurseries during the years from 1867 to 1899, some 46 million plants and over 500 pounds of seed, and furnishing advice free of charge. In 1897, again a commission was instituted to formulate new legislation. This commission reported in 1902, declaring that all accessible forests were more or less devastated, accentuating the needs of water management and proposing a more rigorous definition of banned forests, a strict supervision of communal forests, and the management of private properties under working plans by accredited foresters, or else under direct control of the forest department, the foresters to be paid by the state, which is to recover from the owners. 
It was found that in the past 35 years of the 125,000 acres needing reforestation urgently, only 58,300 acres had been planted at an expense of $1,340,000. In 1910, conditions seem not to have much improved, for again a vigorous attempt at reorganisation and improvement on the law of 1877 was made by the Minister of Agriculture, so far without result. It is to be noted that Italy is perhaps the only country where forest influence on health conditions was legally recognised by the laws of 1877 and 1888. The belief that deforestation of the Maramne, the marshy lowlands between Pisa and Naples, had produced the malarial fever which is rampant here, led the Trappist monks of the cloister at Trefontaine to make plantations of eucalyptus, 84,000, beginning in 1870, the state assisting by cessations of land for the purpose. A commission, appointed to investigate the results in 1881, threw doubt on the effectiveness of the plantation, finding the observed change in health conditions due to the improvement of drainage and lately the mosquito has been recognised as the main agency in propagating the fever. The new propositions, however, did not any more recognise this claimed influence as a reason for public intervention. Incidentally, it may be stated that to two Italians is due the credit of having found the true cause of salubriousness of forest air, namely in the absence of pathogenic bacteria. 3. Education and Literature the first forest school was organised by Balestrieri, who had studied in Germany at the agricultural school near Turin about 1848, transferred to the Technical Institute in Turin in 1851. This school continued until 1869, and from 1863 on had been recognised by the state, assuring its graduates employments in state service. In 1869, the state established a forest school of its own, Institute Forestale, at Vallombrosa, near Florence, with a three years course, since 1886, four years, and in 1900 with 11 professors and 40 students. In spite of the state's subvention of $8,500, it appears that some peculiar economies are necessary, for owing to the absence of stoves, the school is closed from November 1st to March 1st. In spite of the existence of this school, the state service is recruited also from men who have not passed through this school. The legislative propositions brought forward in 1910 also provide for transfer of this school to Florence, leaving only the experiment station in Vallombrosa, and also for raising the standard of instruction. At the same time, however, there was at the old institution ordered a rush course to be finished in 15 months, since it appeared that not enough foresters were in existence to carry out the proposed reorganisation. In 1905, a school of silviculture for forest guards was instituted in Cito Ducale, the course being nine months. Besides the technical school at Vallombrosa, agricultural schools have chairs of forestry or arboriculture, as for instance the Royal School at Portici. As an educational feature, the introduction of Arbor Day in 1902, La Festa de Alberi, should also be mentioned. The existence of a forest school naturally produces a literature. While a considerable number of popular booklets attempts the education of the people who are the owners of the forest, there is no absence of professional works. Among these should be mentioned Di Berenga's Selvicultura, a very complete work, which also contains a brief history of forestry in the Orient, Greece and Italy. G. Colosimoni's Manuel d'Art Forestale, 1864, and the earlier Scienza Selvana by Tondi, 1829, are encyclopedias of inferior quality. In 1859, 
R. Matthew, a private forester, began to publish the Revista Forestale del Regno d'Italia, an annual review for the purpose of popularising forestry in Italy, afterwards changed into a monthly, which continued for some time under subventions from the government. A number of propagandist forestry associations were formed at various times, publishing leaflets or journals, one of these, La a monthly, in 1902. In 1910, the two leading societies combined into a federation, Promontibus et Enti Affini, merging also the Revista Forestale Italiana with LALP, which serves both propagandist and professional needs. End of section 20.